And our Hebrew Bible reading today is taken from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. And it says 1 through 10 in the bulletin. I'm going to go ahead and read through 13. Uh, David asked, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he was summoned to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. The king said, Is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There remains a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. David said, Mephibosheth. He answered, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you the land of your grandfather Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeisance and said, What is your servant, that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring him the produce, so that your master's grandson may have food to eat. But your master's grandson Mephibosheth shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands, his servant to your servants will do. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servant. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. If you would bow your heads with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So, as Herb said earlier, my name is Jamison Rudd. Um, I'm, the, I'm a second-year MDiv student over at BU, and this year I'm the ministerial intern here at Harvard-Epworth. Uh, so I've had my hands in a lot of things over the last semester and a half or so, uh, different parts of church, teaching some adult forum, and helping in other areas, service trips, all sorts of stuff. And finally, we've, like you said, we've had this on the docket, and what a day to be preaching. <laughs> I'm guessing not many people get to file away a pandemic sermon so quickly in their career. Hopefully it's not one that you have to take out of the file too often either. Um, so, I said earlier, uh, actually it's kind of the Rudd show today, unplanned as well. Um, my wife and I moved up from Oklahoma for me to go to grad school here a couple years ago. Um, and before moving up, I spent five or so years in full-time youth ministry there in a Methodist church. So I told the earlier service that uh, I was glad it was a little more informal. This is still very different to me, standing behind a pew. I told him, if any of you have like a football to throw across the room in the middle, that might make me feel more at home. <laughs> so, but I thought I would choose today, being kind of first time up here, choose a couple of my favorite passages for different reasons. And it also helps that I think the, these two passages that we just heard read have a lot more in common. I mean, there's the obvious people that can't walk, in both of them, but I think uh, at the kind of the core elements of them, I would kind of describe them as they're both stories about a person who ends up somewhere that they could never get to on their own, 
um, that probably most people would say they don't really belong, and then they receive something out of it that they could probably never earn on their own. Um, that's kind of the similarity that I see in these. But I want to dive into the Mephibosheth story a little bit. This first, uh, so this story comes at kind of the end of something that's been taking place throughout most of First and Second Samuel. Um, and it's hinted at that, the very first line that we read, David Rain, nope. David asked, is there still anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? What happened to the house of Saul? Well, back in First uh, Samuel 31, we read about how Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, are all, uh, they're killed in, when Israel is defeated by the Philistines at the, ba- at the Battle of Mount Gilboa. But then a few chapters later, in Samuel 4.4, we get a few more details about Mephibosheth. It's actually when we get introduced to him. So I'll just read that. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, and in her haste to flee, it happened that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. I think that's like the saddest verse in the Bible, kind of. That's a very rough day for poor Mephibosheth. Uh, (laughs) Finds out that the Israelites have been conquered. He's lost his family, so he turns to run away and either falls or gets dropped and hurts his legs for the rest of his life. Um, So that brings us up to where we're at. David asks this servant Ziba if there's anyone he can show kindness to. And Ziba replies, there remains a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. So David has brought him and so uh, has him brought in. And there's a very interesting interaction that I think, for kind of my understanding, forms kind of the heart of this whole message of the whole, both of these verses, really. I'll read it one more time. So it's, David says, Mephibosheth. He answered, I am your servant. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, It's a... Clearly, you can see where Mephibosheth's name, uh, mind is. And David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. Again, good news, really good news if you're Mephibosheth. Um, and Mephibosheth says, What is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? I think that's very telling. That uh, You know, today, it's we know that being lame in both legs or whatever uh, handicap or uh, disadvantage we may be at, it's not great, right? We all kind of feel sad from Mephibosheth to read that he uh, hurt his legs and wasn't able to walk. But I think this kind of hints that for Mephibosheth it goes a lot deeper than just a physical disability or anything. That for Mephibosheth, his handicap in his legs and his, the fact that he's lost his family, he's probably living in poverty, um, it's uh, become a very much an identity for him, right? He's a, a self-proclaimed dead dog before King David. And so David sees through that, though. David doesn't see a dead dog. Um, let's see. So we go on, yet David sees fit still to restore Mephibosheth to the land of his grandfather Saul, and he re- restores all of his servants to him, and most of all, welcomes him at his table for the rest of his days. So I think all of us can kind of relate. It would be really cool to get to eat with a king, right? For the most part, most kings, maybe not all kings. Um, (laughs) But that would be kind of an honor to get to eat at the table with the king in the king's home. 
But uh, there's a lot of, this is kind of a recurring theme. This isn't just this one time that we read about this. I know throughout Kings it mentions it, and I think it said five or six times it talks about, uh, um, throughout the book of Samuel, about getting to share a table with the king, or just sharing a table in general. And so this kind of caught my eye, and uh, did a little looking. I found one person that noted that uh, in that day, in the ancient Near East, um, the sharing of a table is much more than just meeting your physical needs or showing a, a nice token of generosity. <clears throat> Indeed, it, uh, let me find my spot. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it represents a sort of, they said, a guarantee of peace, trust, fraternity, and forgiveness. And so ultimately, as I kept reading, not on verse 10, but when we keep reading, we know that in this story, we'll get to the other one later, but Mephibosheth's legs aren't healed. King David doesn't work a miracle on him. But at the end, the last verse, I think, is very telling. Um, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. And then one more time, now he was lame in both feet. So he's not been physically restored. He's not healed. It's not a miraculous healing. And yet he's eating at the king's table. And I think it shows a restoration kind of of his humanity. You know, he's not a dead dog anymore, like he said. He's been restored to his humanity. He's been restored to relations. Uh, A dead dog can't have a relationship with anyone. But he's been granted this, not because of anything that he did on his own or anything that he did to earn it, but because of the commitment that David and his father, uh, Jonathan, had and the love between them. So as we jump over to the Mark chapter, it's one that's probably a bit more familiar to you, a lot of us. Uh, it's one that I love to work with youth with because it, it's kind of fun to act it out a little bit. We won't do it now because it's kind of the, the opposite of social distancing. But Jesus <laughs> is teaching in a house, and it is an absolutely packed house. So with the youth, I would like crowd them into a corner. And I think it's really cool in this story to put yourself in the shoes of someone in that situation. Imagine if we were all shoved up here and Jesus is here preaching and then someone begins to dig through the roof. I don't think there's any discreet way to dig through the roof of a house during a sermon. Um, I woke up the other day to hammering like a block down the street, let alone digging on my roof. Um, So the first thing we learn is that Jesus is not the landlord of the property. I think he would have reacted a little bit differently. Uh, (laughs) But also, um, well, then just the guys lowering their friend through. I love that um, image of this packed house. And then it has to get more packed as people kind of scoot out of the way for their friend to get lowered through the roof. Uh, So Jesus, it says, is moved by their faith. And so he says, he tells the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That's great uh, forgiveness of sins, right? Um, but some of the scribes in the area don't take too kindly to it. They're not pleased. Who's this guy that gets to forgive sins? And so Jesus says to them, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up, and and he immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So again, we have a man restored, right? But this time, we get the physical restoration. But is that really the, the main thing? 
I think it's interesting, if you really look at it, the uh, healing is kind of after the fact, right? Jesus seems to have been pretty content to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Good news for you. And it's only kind of in response to these skeptics that Jesus chooses to uh, heal the man. So I'm currently taking a class at BU called Violence in the Hebrew Bible. And we had this introductory assignment in it um, that was, she gave us a list of passages in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible that are some of the really kind of rough ones that you have to wrestle with, a lot of violence and just bad behavior. And we were supposed to find a volunteer and read through these passages with them uh, and then simply ask one question, what does this teach us? So I chose to recruit my dad, who's a retired Methodist pastor. Side note, I'm also thrilled that after being a preacher's kid and getting like infinite, countless sermon illustrations of me. I finally get to return the favor and use him. But, uh, <laughs> so one of the passages that we read was another, again, King David at a different time. Um, the story of King David on the rooftop has the affair with Bathsheba, and then to get away with it, has her husband sent to the front lines and he's killed in battle. And so I, I had to ask my dad, what does this teach us? And him being the, the knowledgeable pastor kind of cheated and went outside of this little snippet of of the Bible that we were given and said, well, I think we can say that for all of us, pretty much, that's pretty disqualifying, right? That David would have this affair and then get the guy killed to get away with it. But it's not disqualifying for God in that it's not disqualify. It doesn't disqualify him from the grace of God. It doesn't disqualify him from the care of God. And it doesn't disqualify him from sort of his response to God. And I think that's what a we can take from these verses here is that both of these people, Mephibosheth and the paralytic man in Mark, have these things that, especially in that day, and even now we can kind of see it, would seemingly be pretty disqualifying, right? That we might think, uh, how can he end up at the king's table? Why is this guy who's paralyzed, why does he get to drop through the roof into this packed house of all these people that work to be there with Jesus? And I think all of us can see times in our lives where uh, we have felt disqualified for some reason or another, that we may be disqualified from uh, relationship with God or from the grace of God. Uh, but I think that's kind of the message that this has for us. But then, here's kind of the twist, the, uh, the pandemic twist, I guess. I won't challenge you all to go have a large banquet and throw a big feast. That would be somewhat irresponsible of me. But... Uh, I think it is a very relevant message. As I said earlier in the children's moment, there's kind of this dual thing where we can learn a little bit about God, but we can also learn about ourselves. And so uh, we live in a time with this coronavirus and everything. I'll give a brief story. So also in my spare time, I guess, I work over at a tea shop on Newbury Street. Business has been very slow as it has for a lot of uh, stores and stuff. But the other day I was working and we had a woman come in, a Chinese woman, who was the only customer in the store. So we were kind of chatting and I was trying to show her some tea and uh, she was looking over, chatting. And finally, I guess she got a little frustrated and I hadn't even noticed. And she says, oh, is it okay if I come a little bit closer? And she was like 12 feet away. I said, oh yeah, come on, I'll, sure, come on over. And she, she then uh, sort of pulled out her hand sanitizer and made a big show of this and said, I, I promise I'm not sick. I visited my family, and, but today is the first day in two weeks that I've left my apartment. 
I, I promise, and just still very hesitantly. And it really reminded me of this, of a, sort of the servant approaching the king. Um, and so for her, this coronavirus, and it's true of so many other things, not just coronavirus or being paralyzed or whatever, it had become this sort of mark, this identity. Um, and I think that's true of so many people that we encounter today, whether it's directly affecting them or some of the things that they're going through. Um, and so I would just say, I think we can take from this the voice of David that says, uh, don't be afraid, I'm here to show you kindness. And I think that is sort of our challenge. Now how we do that in a world of social distancing, I'm not gonna solve that problem for you. I think we're doing it here today and we can go out and do it uh, out in the world. But I think that is the big takeaway, that we can know that in this crazy time, this time of high tensions and everything, one, that we have a God that welcomes us, that has grace on us no matter what, that we're not disqualified, but also that we have this call to go and be the voice of kindness and welcome to others. So being a BU student, I thought I would conclude with uh, uh, this Howard Thurman reading. Howard Thurman talks a lot about centering down, you know, and so a lot of us have been maybe hunkering down is kind of the word that I use, but I thought it resonated really with uh, sort of the current state of things. So Howard Thurman writes, How good is it to center down, to sit quietly and see oneself pass by? The streets of our minds seethe with endless traffic, our spirits resound with clashing, with noisy silences, while something deep within hungers and thirsts for the still moment and the resting lull. With full intensity we seek, ere thicket passes, a fresh sense of order in our living. A direction, a strong, sure purpose that will structure our confusion and bring meaning in our chaos. We look at ourselves in the waiting moment, the kinds of people we are. The questions persist. What are we doing with our lives? What are the motives that order our days? What is the end of our doings? What are we where are we trying to go? Where do we put the emphasis and where are our values focused? For what end do we make sacrifices? Where is my treasure and what do I love most in life? What do I hate most in life and what, to what am I true? Over and over the questions beat upon the waiting moment. As we listen, floating up through all the jangling echoes of turbulence, there is a sound of another kind, a deeper note which only the stillness of the heart makes clear. It moves directly to the core of our being. Our questions are answered, our spirits refreshed, and we move back into the traffic of our daily round with the peace of the eternal in our step, how good it is to center down. Amen. Amen. Now we sing on page 2128 of the Faith We Sing, Come and Find the Quiet Center.